You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, it's May. Can you believe it? May 2022. And... Back in January, we laid out a series for the book of Exodus, and we gave out these books, and there are just a few left out on the tables. If you're new with us in the last few weeks, um, we would encourage you to go ahead and get up right now and go get one, because what we're doing is we're going through the book of Exodus, and we're asking you to pre-read and then to take notes during, and knowing that you'll go back to this, and it'll be a blessing to you. It's a resource for you. Uh, Hopefully it's been a blessing. And what's crazy is we laid out the series from January through the end of May that we would get through the book of Exodus. And some of you are thinking, well, we're, we, I know we did Exodus 20 and there's 40 chapters. Where, how are we going to do this? Well, we are going to be at an accelerated pace for the, next, uh, for the second half of Exodus. And we're, today we're going to tackle Exodus 21 through 24. Believe it or not, it's our 14th message in the book of Exodus. And, uh, and also, we are going to do something. We're going to take big sections like this through the end of the month, and we will finish, Lord willing, uh, the book of Exodus. And then the summer, we've got a, uh, a series on the life of Joseph, which uh, we're kind of just working on behind the scenes. But when we started back in January, going through the book of Exodus, we used a tool called the Bible Project to give us a summary of the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is so large that we actually, they've created two, part one and part two, uh, a look of the, of the book of Exodus. And today, uh, because we're kind of in the second half now, uh, we want to go back to the Bible Project. And this is a snapshot. And I want to encourage you to open up your scripture. And let's start taking notes, even through the video, uh, some things that highlight that, that will be a blessing to you. And without further ado, here's the second half of Exodus from the Bible Project. The first half of the book of Exodus tells the story of ancient Israel being rescued from slavery. And when people say the Exodus story, those are the chapters they're referring to. But the book has a second half where Moses gives the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these instructions about building a sacred tent. And what links these two halves together is this crucial story. The people of Israel, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They find themselves at the foot of this mountain called Sinai. And here, God's presence comes dramatically down in the form of a violent storm cloud. Now let's stop a second and talk about this concept of God's presence because it's really important for the rest of the book. At the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, humanity was in God's presence presence, they had this close relationship with him and it was good. But humanity rebels and the relationship is fractured and access to God's presence is lost. But God promised Abraham that he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And that includes this restoration of relationship and access to God's presence. So here at Sinai, God's presence is now right here in front of them. And it's actually quite frightening. And he's here to invite Israel into this unique and close relationship with him. And the word used to describe this relationship is covenant. It's like a legal agreement between God and Israel. And it's unique because up till now, God hasn't asked Israel to do anything in return, just to trust him. But here on this mountain, God is going to ask Israel to do something. A lot of things, actually. He gives them a whole set of laws. It includes the Ten Commandments. 
And if they obey these commandments, they will become the people who will represent God to the nations of the world. Like a priest would. Yeah, in fact, that's what God calls them to become, a kingdom of priests. And this is all connected back to the promise to Abraham that his family would become a blessing to the nations. Okay, but obeying these laws is going to be difficult because... There's a lot of them, and they set a really high standard. Though if you think about it, I mean, of anybody in the world who should be able to do it, I mean, it's these people who experienced firsthand God's grace and his power when he rescued them from slavery. And, and they agree to obey the terms, but then they refuse to go into God's presence because it's, well, it's still a bit frightening. And since the people won't go up, Moses goes up to the mountain by himself to meet with God. But God still wants to be with all of his people. And so he says, okay, if the people won't come up here to me, I'll come down off this mountain to be with you all. And that's why he orders Moses to build this elaborate tent as a place where God's presence can be among his people. And that's why the next thing we get is seven chapters of extremely detailed architectural blueprints for this tent. It's really, really really long. But every detail is important and has some kind of symbolic value. For example, there's all this Garden of Eden imagery inside the tent. And it's to remind you that when you're in the tent, you are in God's presence. Then we get another six chapters describing how they built the tent, which is really just repeating the same blueprints word for word. Now let's back up because before the tent is finished, there's this super important story. Moses is coming off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the blueprints in his hands, and he finds Israel breaking the first two commands of the covenant. Don't have any other gods before me and don't worship idol statues. Right, and so here we are, immediately after agreeing to the covenant, they're throwing this ritual party, they're worshiping an idol. And so God says to Moses, you know what, this is, this is not going to work. I should just wipe these people out and start over with you. But Moses reminds God of his promise to Abraham and pleads with God to spare them, which is a really weird conversation. Why would God need to be reminded of something. Yeah, it does seem odd. But this dialogue is inviting us into God's experience of grief and pain due to Israel's actions. And he really could walk away. But instead, this God chooses faithfulness to his own promises, even though he knows it's going to cost him. So we come to the end of the book. The tabernacle's built, God's presence comes down off the mountain to fill it, and in the final scene, Moses goes to enter the tabernacle to be in God's presence. But he can't. He's actually not able to go inside, and that's how the book ends. Why can't he go in? That was the whole point. So when Israel worshipped the golden calf, it was like a slap in the face to God's faithfulness. And so Moses can't just waltz into the tent like everything's just fine. There's a deeper problem still in this relationship. Will they ever be able to fix the relationship and go into God's presence? Well, that's what the next book, Leviticus, is all about. Awesome. How many are excited for the next few weeks getting our mind through the end of Exodus? I hope you are. Well, last time we were together in studying the book of Exodus, we were in Exodus chapter 20, which we see the Ten Commandments. And uh, they're memorable. Uh, in fact, I'm curious, is there anybody uh, that can give us all ten just from memory? Anybody willing to do that on the spot? It's okay if you don't. Uh, but we probably, if we work together, we could probably get all ten of those. And uh, now we're going to move forward into verses 20, or chapters 21 through 23. 
3, and we get an expansion of those laws. And then in chapter 24, we'll end today with a confirmation, kind of a response from the people. But I want us to remember, before we get to the material, that when we've been studying the book of Exodus, there's been a theme that we've said that if God were to speak and say, this is what Exodus is all about, it would be him saying, I am the living God and I care for my people. How many of you guys remember us talking about that at some point? Hopefully that's written down at some point. You could write it again in these verses. I am the living God and I care for my people. And you just can't miss that as you're reading this. And God desires this covenant relationship that we learned about in the video there. And when you start to boil that down and, and we start to build on that idea, today is just an extension of that. And really what I want us to walk away with today is the idea that God wanted the world to look like him. And we have and we will see that a God that is loving, he's fair, he's honest, he hates injustice and oppression. Uh, wrongs need to be made right. In regards to punishment, uh, they need to be, punishment for sin needs to be appropriate, uh, proportionate to the crime, and we're going to see that today. And really, overall, when we start to look at these laws, we start to see uh, or continue to see a God that is full of love and compassion for his people, but he's also a just God, and we see that. And that's what the importance of reading, pre-reading, re-reading after the fact, and I hope that you're doing that and that this is really being, uh, uh, making an impact. But again, today, God wanted the world to look like him. So when we move into chapter 21 through 23, the thought that came to my mind is law and order. Everyone say law and order. And when I think of law and order, the Israelite people were out in the desert on their own after 400 years of slavery, living under the oppression of the Egyptian government, right? But they didn't have any laws of their own. And, and if you backed up before that, it started really with one family moving to Egypt, Joseph, right? Uh, Joseph uh, became, uh, started as a slave, worked up his ranks. He became a high-ranking official. And we are going to talk about uh, Joseph throughout the summer, which I'm super excited about. But then we see the, the Egyptians, they were all about control and uh, really le- you know, saying, hey, this is, these are the rules that you're going to follow if you're going to be here. And for 400 years, they were, the, God's people were subject to the Egyptian and their authority. But now they're out on their own. And for the sake of harmony, for the sake of safety, they needed some laws and some rules to follow. So God lays out an understanding of morality, some building blocks for life, just like a good parent would do uh, when you start to have kids. How many of us can remember back to having kids and you're saying, okay, uh, we got to get things in order, right? And as your kids grow, you teach them not to touch the hot stove or not to run out into the street when there's cars running or you don't play in the street. And, And there are some laws and some order within the family that are important. Otherwise, there's insanity, right? And the same is true in a macro level for the people of God. This group of um, two million people needed some law and order. But let's think about it. What fights against law and order? Our sin nature. 
And they had plenty of it. In fact, sin creates disorder in every area. And first-time parents, they understand that quickly. Uh, when your kids start to grow, uh, you don't have to teach them how to lie or to steal or to say no or to say mine, right? Or they, you, know, you don't have to teach your kid to hit somebody or worse yet, to bite somebody. They, you say, well, why would my little angel do that? Well, the reality that little angel is a sinner just like we are. And it doesn't take long for us to start to see that emerge, right? And because of that, a good family puts some order, right? Some laws into place about bedtimes and how we're going to treat each other. What are our attitudes going to be? And when our kids grow up, we start to teach them about how we handle money, right? And we're going to be givers and we're going to be savers and other actions. And we do that in order for our family to thrive. And that's what God God is doing in this picture in Exodus. He's saying, hey, here are some laws. Here is my word. And let me just uh, just give you an idea. Uh, these laws work. And again, God wanted his people and ultimately the world to look like him. But when you start reading through the Old Testament and you come to a section like this where there's just law after law after law, actually 52 laws in these three chapters that uh, come after the, after the Ten Commandments, you might think, like I did, what's really going on here? Because you read these laws. In fact, I wrote on the top of page 98... What is going on here? Uh, seriously, I was like, when I was reading through and just kind of meditating, I'm thinking, what, what's happening here? And the question that came to my mind is, should we still follow Old Testament laws? How many have ever wrestled with that question before or maybe had that question posed and you're saying, okay, yeah, that's a fair question. There's all these laws and over the whole Old Testament, there are hundreds of laws to follow according to Jewish law. And you're saying, well, what do we do? And what's interesting is that today, in today's day and age, we get blamed for cherry picking our favorites, right? And we say, well, we're going to follow these laws, but then these laws were not, right? And, and some of them are so specific, you're saying, and then so so strange, and then some are so out there, and you're saying, okay, that's out of touch. That can't apply to today, right? How many have ever wrestled with that? Come on, let's be honest. But one commentator, as I was studying, it said, he said, there's a better question. Should we be shaped by Old Testament law? And as he approached that idea, the answer is yes. There is wisdom there's best practices, there are guidelines, there's safety, and the intent behind the law is what's important for us to grasp, and we'll get there. But that same commentator said this, he said, the law of God is still binding for the shaping, everyone say shaping, so the law of God is still binding for the shaping, not the saving. It doesn't save us to follow all these laws, but for the shaping of God's people. And it just brings us back to that song we were singing, Lord, you can have it all. Lord, shape me, mold me. Again, God wanted the world to look like him. In fact, let's make it more personal. God wants us, God wants me to look 
like him. And that's what's happening here in these next few chapters. Exodus chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments. That's the baseline. But you say, well, now what? Well, we are going to see God's priorities as the laws are expanded. And really, it starts at the end of Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 26. We won't look at that, but you can mark it down. Those verses leading up to chapter 21 talk about worshiping God, that there should be no idols. It talks about giving offering, uh, rules for worship overall, and really kind of deal with a relationship with God first. And then from that moment forward, it's almost 100% in regards to our relationship with other people. And there were two things that really spoke to me out of those 52 laws that are given uh, that I think are really critical for us to wrestle with. And the first is this, that God cares for the least of these. God cares for those that are the most vulnerable the down and outers, for the least of these. Now, question. How would you know what someone cares about when you interact with them? Well, one way you can know is by what they talk about first and what they talk a lot about. Um, I was in California. Uh, my family, some of my family lives out there. My Uncle Jim, if you're watching, uh, I love you, Uncle Jim. Um, but when you spend time with Uncle Jim, and Bobby can attest to this, that uh, within short order, he's going to be talking about real estate and about investments. And then I said that first service, and I thought, okay, f- to be fair, too, he also loves Jesus, and we'll talk about the Lord a lot. And, uh, and Bobby, you watched that for a couple days. We stayed with them, and that, that's just, and you kind of know what's on his priority, what, it, what he's most passionate about, and uh, that's what you see. And the point is, when God starts to expand on these laws, God could have started anywhere. And where does he start? The first thing he addressed are slaves. The down and outers, right? The least of these. Look at it. Exodus chapter 21. Turn with me there. Exodus 21, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. And so he's now going to start to lay out all these things. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go free for nothing. God, right out of the gun, is thinking about the least of these. Slaves. And then he expands from there. I love it. He talks about not mistreating widows and orphans. Exodus 22, verse 22. He says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Widows and orphans. And let's just pause there for a moment. Slaves, widows, orphans. What, what is happening here was completely progressive for that time in that day and age. This was unthought, this was totally, to think about the lowest in society first was not a priority. Slaves, females, and even talking about female slaves, foreigners, outsiders, the poor, immigrants, right, refugees, and even within these 52, it talks about how we should interact with animals. How many animal lovers are there? You should reread it, looking for animals, and uh, you'll, you'll be blessed by that. But the idea is that God wants a society where people are treated fairly, Justice being withheld, we'll talk about that in a second, but he's there 
caring for the marginalized, providing for them. And by the way, you ought to write in the margin there that Jesus was poor and he was marginalized as well. And, uh, and so he's consistent here. All the way through Scripture, God was caring for those. And he wanted the world to look like him. And so the goal would, would be for us to model his character. And I just want to just to pause here for a second because when we look at this and say, okay, God wants us to look like him, well, I believe that we have a lot of room to grow as a congregation. And I don't want to beat us up, but when it comes to the poor, what we're doing with immigrants, what we're doing with refugees, with the unborn, with widows and orphans, God help us to grow in our care and to be thinking of them first. Now, of course, we have City Serve, our ministry that really is helping us uh, with some of these things, and that's rolling out, and, and we want to fan the flame of that. And actually, this past week, the conference that Pastor Bobby and I were a part of was the World Vision Conference, and they exist to meet the needs of those that are most vulnerable in the world. And I thought, as I was sitting with this message birthing in my heart and watching and be, part, being a part of World Vision, I'm saying, yes. We want to be a part of World Vision, and we are and will be in the future, and it will be wonderful. But I thought to myself, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to give, and we're going to support something happening overseas. But what's happening in our own town, in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, in regards to those that are marginalized, those that are the least of these? We have missionaries, and at our missions meeting a couple weeks ago, we were talking about it, and Amber Wilder, right here, our Europe representative, did an incredible job laying out, and she was sharing how we have missionaries in Poland that have brought in, they have a house full of refugees from Ukraine right now that are blessing them. How many, five, six, seven, well, a family of seven. So one of our missionaries is doing it, and we're supporting them. And so when we support them, we're like, hey, we're a part of this, right? And that's true. And we want to continue that, but that can't be enough. I feel like we have room to grow. I have room to grow when it comes to the poor and immigrants and refugees. And what am I doing for the unborn or widows and orphans, the least of these? There's more scriptures that really talk about this. Exodus 21, uh, verses 22 and 23, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, which is we should not do, it says, So that her children come out, in other, in other words, causing her to go into labor. But there's no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And so you're saying, okay, that's talking about the unborn, caring for not only the woman, but the unborn child. But then look at verse 23. But if there's harm, you shall pay life for life. God cares about the unborn in a deep way. And that moves us to the second point. Not only is God, uh, what, is, what does he care about, uh, that we should be shaped by these things, that God cares for the least of these, we also see in these verses here, in these chapters, that God's punishment for sin is severe, but it's also fair. 
You may have noticed it in the video that we watched from the Bravo Project that as we move forward and as you read or reread these laws, you'll see things about violence and about murder. Again, how do we deal with each other? In Exodus 21, 23, where we left off, it says, but if there's harm to the unborn, you shall pay life for life. And then it's expanded from there. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, Foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, it should be proportionate to the, the sin or the punishment for that sin. It's, yes, severe, but it's also fair. See, the wrath on sin, there is wrath on sin, but it's also with restraint when we come to conflict. And again, we're trying to become more like Jesus, more like God, and say, all right, we want to, he's given us a picture of what we should look like in regard to morality and character, how we would relate with one another. And yes, God cares for the vulnerable, and he loves, and his compassion's great, but when it comes to following the rules and justice, he is also a just God, and he's consistent, and we should be the same in our day-to-day. I didn't, it's not in my notes here, and I'll just take a little rabbit trail here. That there's also, uh, there's times uh, that it talks about the poor and the marginalized, but if the poor and the marginalized get themselves in trouble, and you can look for it and read it, I'm not sure if I could find it right off the bat, but, but God is saying, look, you still hold that poor person responsible. So no Robin Hood here, right? Or you steal from the rich and, and say, no, if, if a poor person is caught stealing, you still hold them accountable. It's severe, but it's also fair. The idea here is that we should be shaped by these laws, church. And for us, we take ownership. We take it into our own hands and we work it out, right? And we take things in our own hands with one exception. And it's found in Exodus 22, 21 through 24. It says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And so true. Verse 22 says, You shall not mistreat a widow or an orphan, right? A fatherless child. Because if you do, not only do you take restitution on your own, but it says if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, that same phrase is found out, found in the early part of Exodus where the children of Israel cried out to God and he heard them. He says, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. In other words, your family will be widowed and orphaned. God would step in for the least of these. We see a God of love and compassion, a God full of justice as well. And again, we should be shaped and molded by these ideas. You say, well, is it just in the Old Testament? No. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. We see a God that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus' words, right? And once and for all. And there is saving grace in Jesus' words. And we, but we should be shaped by his words equally. How many would agree? And when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, it says, a lawyer, so someone smart, someone that was sophisticated, they're trying to test him, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
So out of all the hundreds of laws that are listed in the Old Testament, they're saying, pick one. What is the one greatest and Jesus, without skipping a beat, says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pause there for a second. You love God. You love others. In all of the other laws, every single one would fall under those two categories. All 300 or 400 laws. And then look at Matthew twenty-two forty. It says, on these two commandments, loving God, loving others, depend all of the law and the prophets. Jesus was brilliant. But what he was saying was difficult. It is not easy to follow that, off, follow that up. But what he's describing is this vertical relationship first with God, that we have justice with God. Our relationship with God must be perfect or must be attended to. And then there's also a horizontal justice with others, how we relate with others. And if you put these two together, what do we see? We see the cross, don't we? And it's a beautiful picture, and that's where we look is to the cross to say, okay, God, help us to live in this way. See, Exodus established law and order, this covenant relationship that was being flushed out. And it came with a promise that God would bless all the nations. And that's what we see. In Exodus 20 through 23, 52 additional commands about worship and social justice and other things, all to set the people of God apart from other nations. But it wasn't to set us apart that we would never infiltrate the nations. It was to set us apart and then that we'd be an example to the nations. And we're still called to be that. And when we say the nations, that includes our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members that we would follow, be shaped by these laws, and then we would be a mouthpiece to the nations, to those that need to hear about the love of Jesus. You say, that's incredible. Well, it is. And I would encourage you to reread those three chapters. And then we want to also talk about Exodus 24 just briefly. Uh, how does this all end? Where our reading ends this, this, uh, for this week. Exodus 24 verse 3 says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Everyone say that with me. We will do. It's almost like a wedding ceremony. I will or we do, right? And then from there, they built an altar to the Lord and did a sacrifice. A couple verses later, it says, then Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And again, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. We will obey. And that's where it comes full circle for us. As we ended our worship service saying, God, you can have it all. It's a sign and a commitment of obedience saying, God, we want to walk in your ways. 
I was reading a book about discipleship over the last week when I was on, uh, on our trip. And it's a really interesting uh, take. It's about multiplying um, through uh, through uh, one-on-one and uh, discipleship. And, and he was talking about, the, the author was saying that it's, it's one thing to transfer knowledge to somebody. It's another thing to transfer knowledge and then to wait for obedience before you moved on to the next piece of information. And he was encouraging pastors, and it's just an interesting thought that he said, what if a pastor preached a message and you picked the topic, and until the congregation obeyed, he would just preach the same message over and over and over. Can you imagine that? But in a discipleship relationship and one-on-one, that's really the, the key, right, is to walk with somebody and say, okay, this is not just about head knowledge and knowing or to have the right answers. It's about life transformation. It's about obedience. That challenges me. And related to this idea of God, that God wanted the world to look like him or that God wants us to look like he looks, it's going to take some obedience. And yes, we know that God is a God who's fair and just and There's harmony and safety in these rules. He hates injustice and oppression. Wrongs must be right, all these things. The crime or the punishment should be proportionate to the the crime. But really, it's got to change us from the inside out. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me as we consider what does this really mean. Because when we say we want this to be shaped by these laws, to be shaped especially by Jesus' command to love God, to love others, and to really do that, the reality is there's not one of us here that does it perfectly. There's not one of us here that even comes close to perfection. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, Scripture says. And you say, well, then what do we do? Do we just throw in the towel? Do we say, oh, shoot, we missed it? Or do we wrestle with it and look to the cross? And that would be my encouragement. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin that we should be held guilty for, and he forgives it. We don't deserve it, period. But that's what our Heavenly Father does. He provides a way for us to find Him, to find salvation, to live with Him forever. It's an incredible exchange. There's nothing we can do other than confess our sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just. And what that means is that He covers us. And if when we don't hit the standard, when we don't follow the law, when we don't do the loving God and loving others uh, to the, to the uh, uh, perfect degree, God's blood, Jesus' blood, covers us, and we're still saved. It's remarkable. And my guess is there's some here today that need to embrace that idea to surrender to Jesus. 
If you're online and you need to surrender and you need to have a salvation experience, we want to welcome you just to type in the notes and we will follow up with you 100% of the time. If you're here in the room, I want to give you the opportunity to just pray a prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that will save you, but when you agree in prayer and believe what you're saying, you will be saved according to Scripture. And so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the things in my life that are wrong. I'm sorry for the sin and for the darkness. But right now, I give you my life. I'm surrendering to you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I'm putting my faith in you. Clean me up, Lord. Do a work in my life, and I will serve you all the days with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, if you're online, let us know, and we will follow up. We have resources. But for those that are here in the room, and you're making that kind of decision, or maybe you're just coming back to the Lord, uh, I just want to challenge you that you need to let someone know. You need to let us know at the Connection Center, and we've got some next steps, some resources that will help you to grow, and we want to do that. That's why we exist, to help you to come alongside of you. We want to do that. Well, this morning we want to end with a song. It's called With You. And it really speaks to God's heart for in our own hearts uh, coming together that there should be a relationship, that there should be this intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And I would just as I want you to stand and as we prepare to sing this, there's a song, there's a part of the song in the bridge that says, So let all that I am be consumed with who you are. Let the glory of your presence uh, fill us or something like that. Uh, what more could I ask for? And as we sing that, I want that to be our anthem. Kind of like we sang at the end of worship earlier, Lord, you can have it all. Now it's a moment saying, God, I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be more like you. Without further ado, let's sing. Lord, help us as we respond. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Yes, Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and your presence. Lord, and we were reminded of that earlier when we were reminded of the tabernacle and your glory on the mountain, Lord. We thank you that we have access to your presence and that your spirit is here with us in this moment. Lord, and we just pray that you would challenge us, that you would move us to be different people than who we came in as this morning. Lord, and I also thank you that I was reminded this morning that, you know, any person can love others, can love their neighbors, but it's impossible for us who say that we love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. It's impossible for me not to love my neighbor because that's a command from you, Lord. So help me 
to love my neighbor, my actual neighbors. Help me to love, uh, you know, help us to love our coworkers. Help us to love our family. Help us to, to be a light to the lost, to the hurting, to the broken, to the vulnerable, Lord. What a sober reminder of these people who became free. That, Lord, you are reminding them not to become oppressors themselves. So, Lord, we just pray that in our freedom, in you, let us not push others to the wayside. But help us be people that embody your light and your love. To the lost, to the hurting, to the broken. and also to the sinners that are maybe in our lives that we may be pushed out, Lord. Let us be people who show them your love and your light. Lord, you are calling and commissioning us out to be your people, to be a blessing to the nations just like the people of Israel were, just like Abraham was. So, Lord, Jesus, let us be your hands and your feet. We give you all the praise, all the glory and all the honor in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. You can go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.